the excitement as Argentina fans were outside of the Vancouver Art Gallery celebrating the World Cup win. And we were all supposed to become huge soccer fans over the last few weeks, as, of course, the World Cup was playing out in the Middle East in Qatar. But did we here in Canada? We have sort of, sort of pockets of the country where soccer is really popular, but it's not exactly a sport that we would equate, I don't think, with our national identity not to mention the World Cup was pretty seriously plagued with human rights issues, protests, uh, general criticism right from the outset. So what did we learn from it? We're going to get into it right now with our next guest, who's an associate professor of kinesiology and physical education. He's a fellow at the Balsillie School of International Affairs at Wilfrid Laurier University. Tim Elcombe is joining the show this evening. Tim, good evening. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Chelsea. Tim, I will be the first to say, I just want to fully acknowledge that I, uh, I would not classify myself as a soccer fan, but even I watched a little bit of that final game. So let's start there. Let's just talk about that final match that determined the overall winner because it it really could not have been more of an exciting finish, Tim. No, and, and considering that this is the world's biggest game, many people said this was maybe the best soccer game of all time so the the combination of the the viewership and and sort of the stakes and of course the the game of course it had the the two biggest stars uh in the world's game i mean nothing could have been more perfect from a fifa perspective in, in terms of wrapping it wrapping things up yeah and sort of reframing i think the image that remains in our minds when we think about the world cup because I, there was a lot of controversy that took place throughout it. Um, but there, but first of all, I know I, I want to get into that, Tim. But first of all, with the win, you know, a, a South American country goes home with the glory. So it, I think we, many of us could have predicted that result. Does it make Canadians really any bigger soccer fans than they were when this whole thing started? I think the run-up to the World Cup generated a lot of interest. I think as Canada was qualifying and there was more media attention and, and, and I think there was more interest, I think that certainly drew more attention than sort of our national men's team had seen before. And I think there probably was heading in to the tournament. But, of course, Canada I mean, Canada actually played well but lost the first two games, which meant they were eliminated even before they played the third games. And, you know, and it was also tough times to watch. You know, games were, you know, during the week. They were middle of the day. So, you know, for, for you to watch sort of the tournament significantly, I think you would have had to have really committed to doing it. And I think maybe it lost a little bit of luster in Canada unless you were sort of that big soccer fan or somebody who'd really been captured, but, you know, that your imagination was captured by the Canadian run to, to qualifying. Do you think that even, I mean, despite what you just explained, which I think is is bang on, maybe people weren't necessarily watching the World Cup, but for soccer as a whole, just the game of it, has there been any kind of an injection of interest, maybe not just at the pro level in terms of watching the World Cup, but for kids maybe wanting to get into the game? Canada has an interesting relationship with soccer. It's been an extremely popular participation sport for a long time, for decades. Uh, Canada's participation rates are quite high, uh, even when it comes to, to the world. But it's for the most part, it's been viewed as a kid's sport or as a sport that you know people played as part of their, their immigrant communities. Uh, and I think it's only been recently, you know, the women longer, the women have been successful the entire you know, century so far. But I think it's only recently on the men's side that, that the idea of sort of elite soccer and the idea that 
you know, that, you know, men would be professionals in, in soccer coming out of Canada and playing at the highest level. So I think that part is new and emerging and has the potential to grow. So I, I think, again, in terms of kids' participation, lots of it historically, but it's that higher level soccer and that, that idea that soccer is something that we should pay attention to, that, mm. that is a path for young people to, to pursue professionally. I think that's the part that's growing in Canada. Which is encouraging to see. It's a sport, as you mentioned, that, you know, it's pretty easy to have access to. You certainly don't need a lot of equipment. You can just throw a ball down and and pick up a game. So it's really, it's accessible for so many people. Um, And I think that that's that's positive. But there is a lot of controversy that surrounded this specific event. And and I want to get into it because there there are a lot of different directions that we can go, Tim, in terms of what happened. Uh, when it comes to the controversies themselves, which are the ones that you felt really shocked you when it comes to the to the retelling of the World Cup? What sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I'm not sure shock. I think it's the reality of, <laughs> of sort of the some of the issues that have happened. I mean, I think the very the very idea of Qatar being selected in, two, in 2010 to be the host in 2022 uh, was a pretty you know, significant decision. You know, in some ways, you could see it coming because FIFA, um, especially the executive, the president and the executive committee, has for a long time been trying to sort of grow the game in non-traditional powers. And part of the reason for that is because FIFA executives get elected. Sort of every country that has a football association, which is actually more than more nations than are in the United Nations, every nation gets a vote. And so tiny little countries that often don't have much power politically have the same power as the United States or England or Brazil when it comes to voting for the president. And so they've really tapped into that in Asia, in Africa, in the Caribbean and Central America. And so a lot of FIFA's power comes from these places. And so they've been trying to reward them and take the game there, uh, often against sort of the protest of you know, Europe. And so you can sort of see, the, so, so I think the fact that that translated into Qatar, which is a tiny nation, it's, it's, it's 3 million people and 2 million of that are, are migrant workers, um, really you know, limited soccer history uh, and no infrastructure to host anything like this, you know, in 2010, uh, was suddenly given the world's biggest event, um, you know, was, was, you know, right from the beginning, this was going to be a, you know, a controversial World Cup. You know, and you you touch on the fact that they didn't necessarily have the infrastructure to even hold this event, and that became a huge issue as well. The human rights concerns of those migrant workers building these this giant arena, all of these stadiums, the the housing for athletes and the hotels for tourists to stay in, and ultimately resulting in a lot of really mis, uh, horrible mistreatment of of those workers, deaths of others. What does this done for our perception of Qatar? I mean, the idea is to create this this beautiful picture of the country. Look, we're hosting the World Cup. Come here. Let's let watch our tourism boom. But did the negative attention then have the opposite effect? I think it's mixed results. It's you know, in some ways, you know, Qatar invited criticism. Qatar invited the world to take a close look at what they were doing. And, and so from that were lots of criticisms, criticisms about human rights in terms of the uh, laws and related to LGBTQ+, uh, migrant workers. I mean, so that entire infrastructure, I mean, the, the, where the final was played is a city that they basically built from nothing. 
you know, it's an entire city that they've built. And, and, and people describe it as, you know, as a, almost like a strange futuristic movie, you know, when you go there. And so they built these from scratch and they built them, you know, in you know, workers working in 50 plus degree Celsius heat in the middle of the summer. You know, and there's been reports of 6,500 workers dying. Now, Qatar challenges that number, and they say that that number, you know, is is uh, sort of non. It's not factual in terms of you know people working on work dying on work sites, and, and sure, that's yeah. not natural causes. But it is, you know, it is problematic, and 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 so you know, being built on the back of that has certainly left uh, you know problems and challenges that Qatar can shake. On the other side of it, um, you know. Europe and, and Canada and the United States were, were concerned about these issues. But a lot of the other, you know, in South America and in other parts of the world, they kept sort of talking about, let's just focus on football. Let's just focus on the event. Um, and they ended up getting quite a bit of support from a lot of places. We're talking about the World Cup, the 2022 World Cup. Will we remember Argentina as the winners or will we instead think of the controversies surrounding it? Uh, my guest is associate professor for kinesiology uh, of kinesiology and physical edu- education, excuse me, at Wilfrid Laurier University. Tim Elcombe is back with us again. You know, Tim, we touched on some of the controversies surrounding the World Cup, which uh, many people are quite aware of now. I think people are also relatively aware of the fact that FIFA is uh, corrupt in many of its dealings. <laughs> it's an organization that accepts bribes. Does all the negative attention create an impetus for change within that organization? The problem with FIFA in terms of change is its power comes from um, it, its power comes from who votes for them, and who votes for them are the countries that get the most back from FIFA. So countries in Africa, for example, are reliant on FIFA for funding, and they have enough votes to keep the president uh, Gianni Infantino in power effectively along with some of the other smaller countries. And so FIFA doesn't necessarily have to change to, to hold on to power. So then it's about public opinion, but the public opinion is, you know, we're talking about a world game, a global game and the public opinion about FIFA and Qatar and these types of things is quite different depending on where you're, you know, which country you're asking and, and what perspective you're looking at the world cup in Qatar is being a perfect example of this. And so it's really difficult to pressure FIFA to change. And so, uh, again, both in terms of, of trying to remove them from power, your people from power, or just getting people to, you know, enough people collectively to push back against them. Hmm. So when it comes to the question of this being a successful event, the World Cup, what, what do you say? I would imagine it's a, it's a complicated answer. Yeah, it's 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 extremely complex. I mean, on a sporting side, Qatar couldn't have asked for anything more. It was absolutely perfect for them. It, it was maybe the most competitive World Cup from beginning to end in terms of the quality and, and, uh, and uh, in terms of competition. They ended up with the dream final of France versus Argentina, and the two best players, Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe, both play for Paris Saint Germain. And Paris Saint-Germain is actually owned by Qatari Sport, Sport Investments. And so their two superstars, who they pay to play professionally, were there on the center stage in maybe the greatest soccer game of all time. So on a sporting side, this was perfect for FIFA. This was perfect for Qatar. They, they could not have asked for anything more. Hmm. So we don't know that necessarily. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. Is that what you're saying? 
I think people who look at the event and, and, and because you can look at this event as a an event, an international affairs event. And if you look at it through that prism, there's a lot of issues that, that came to the fore, not just you know, leading up in term, terms of human rights and, and the selection, the bribery that 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 led to Qatar getting it, but even during the tournament, you know, FIFA, you know, uh, they were, there were seven teams were going to wear rainbow armbands, uh, mm-hmm. one love armbands sort of in support of the LGBTQ plus community. And they were told that they would get yellow cards, which effectively would put them on the brink of getting suspended. Right. And so, you know, even during the tournament, these things kept happening, you know, there, there are issues and, and Gina, the, the president uh, Infantino had a couple of rants, one right before the, the, the first game where he talked about how Europe should apologize for 3,000 years before accusing anyone else of human rights abuses. So if you look at it through the lens of international affairs, this is an incredibly controversial, maybe the most politically scrutinized sporting event we've ever seen. But if you want to look at it simply as a sporting event, what a, it was an incredible four weeks and you know with, with phenomenal competition. And again, that dream final with that your stars playing and, you know, uh, extra time and, and goals late. And so it depends on the prism you look at, look through whether or not you think this was a successful World Cup or not. Well, Tim, thank you so much for sharing your opinion of it and uh, dissecting it. And, uh, and now we, we look ahead. What do we, what do we expect and anticipate next when it comes to the world of soccer? Well, we're going to be co-hosting in 2026 on the men's side. So obviously that is going to be interesting because I think one mm-hmm. of the things we need to be prepared for in Canada is because Qatar in 2022 and Russia before in 2018 were, you know, it's a lot of scrutiny of those nations. I think that's now going to be turned on us. I suspect the U.S. will take the brunt of it, but Canada will certainly be scrutinized as well. So on the political side, that's coming to Canada in 2026, as well as the World Cup, which is a pretty significant, again, it's the world's biggest sporting event. It's one of the biggest events, period, in the world uh, is coming to Canada. And the women are going to be in their World World Cup in uh, Australia and New Zealand this summer. So it'll be interesting to see if they can continue their success, you know, coming off of, of the Olympic gold medal. So there's lots coming you know, up. I, I mean, I, I think soccer is going to be a pretty you know, significant topic from a sporting perspective over the next few years. And then I think it will become a national conversation again, you know, when we when we get closer to 2026. Yeah, this isn't the first time that uh, political issues, human rights issues and sports have intersected. So we'll see where it's going to go in the years to come. Tim, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chelsea.